Welcome to the Roundtable. I am Jennifer Eller, and with us today is our pastor, Mike Hill, and then our guest is Ken Hippensteel. Yay! Yay. <laughs> if you were going to put out a resume, like if on a normal podcast, we're going to read the resume. Ken Hippensteel, who would be the top thing on your resume? Top thing on my resume? Yeah, so like, you know how sometimes like people Like, what's the like, most important for my life, or I'm... Yeah, like, like job be, wise. Yeah, like or just in life. Because easily be, my family. Let me tell you, so family. Ken Hippensteel, the easily. family man. Well, it struck me a couple of years ago that I am a patriarch. Huh? Yeah, blew my mind. What's that mean? Okay, so my dad's still alive, so he's a patriarch over me. But patri means man or father, right? Okay. Um, matriarch no, I, would be a woman. Okay. But a man. So who you're has, a man woman. Maybe Patri- sometimes. <laughs> no, you just today okay. I can patriarch be patriarch is a man. Matriarch is a oh, woman. Oh, matriarch. Yeah. Sorry, got it. I'm a patriarch. I missed that. Thank you. We were in our backyard, had a cookout, and I look at my three daughters, two sons-in-law at the time, and four grandkids at the time, and I go, I'm a patriarch. Like I have people under me. Oh, got it. That God got has it. put in my life to be responsible for. Got it. And so three generations now, mm-hmm. and I was like. Wow, maybe I ought to start acting like a patriarch. Do you think that? So, like, do you think when you were raising kids, did you think of yourself as a patriarch? Not so much, because that's the concept, right? So, the concept of being a patriarch is like any generations, under, yeah, anybody under you, mm-hmm. yeah. But I didn't think about it that way until this two Memorial Days ago when we were having a cookout, and I was yeah. like, "Wow." Yeah. So we'll come back to that, but tell us a little bit about you. So, do you read like something you're reading? What's the last full book that you've read? Mm, that's a good one. I don't know. You don't Honestly. Because you don't read? I read, but I'm on my phone so much reading articles, not oh, books. Okay. I so where do you get your articles from? Taking in podcasts. Okay. So I listen to a lot of podcasts. I used to read a lot, but most of the books I read were Christian self-help books. Oh, okay. Discipleship, some leadership mm-hmm. stuff, things like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Improve yourself. Nothing wrong with that. And I started thinking, I mark them up. I got good things, highlight them. I had a system for marking them up with pencil and stuff. I'll come back and revisit that one. And then you end up not revisiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes you do. But I started going, there's a lot of good stuff out there, a lot of good good ideas. And a lot of stuff I go, this is great. And I need to incorporate this into my life and what have you. And then I don't. Mm-hmm. Or I do some, or to some extent. But it, you know... So you quit reading. You quit reading. Kind of, yeah. And you went into reading. I started losing the passion for that. So you went into reading shorter stuff. I got a little more into reading like history. Okay. The Revolutionary War era is huge for me. So if you're getting your news, where do you get your news from? Uh, My phone. Okay. Jennifer, where do you get your news? Do you watch the news? (laughs) I don't watch the news. If I watch the news, I yell at the TV. Yeah. (laughs) So where do you get your news? Do you watch the My husband. (laughs) You don't get on TikTok or like, uh, that's I mean, where Cheryl media. gets the news. I, I mean, I'm on yeah. Facebook and stuff like that. So I see something out there. Sometimes I go and research a little bit further, you know, if it's something I really want to know. Okay. Is that true? Oh, you so know, like otherwise I just when like, Matthew McConaughey died. Is that his name? What? Matthew Perry. Oh, whatever. I'm like, <laughs> what? Who's Matthew McConaughey? I just saw him on He's a commercial. Too. Okay. He's you see the green too. lights guy? He says, all right, all right, all right. The guy yeah, that yeah, wrote green. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He's yeah. the Lincoln so, guy. The friends guy died. Yes. 
right? Yeah. Well, I didn't, I, I saw Perry. it and I just, I kept waiting. I kept seeing it more and more and more. So then I believe that it was. Right. So you, uh, so you got the news through social media. Yeah. Do you get, that's how you get your news? When you I say get my news article, from a conservative outlet. Okay. If, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, but yeah, I get well, my news through. Uh, what do you mean? What? You can't say your The Daily outlet? Wire. Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro's oh, thing. Yeah. Okay. So that's like a, I don't know what the Daily Wire is. The Daily is. Wire has a news feed. I mean, I know who Ben mm-hmm. Shapiro is. Yeah. Daily Wire comes through just an app. I get it on my phone. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's yeah. an app. So it's like you app. read. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So any th- movies? Uh, yeah. So your article reader, any movies that your favorite movie? In history. Ever- um, movies. My favorite movie of all time is Ben-Hur. Huh? Ben-Hur. Check it out, dude. Ben-Hur. <laughs> Charlton Heston. <laughs> You didn't know you were going to learn stuff, did you? No, I didn't. You, you were stopping so, him. Do you he know what this like, is? No, I've heard of Ben Hur, but no. It's I like don't a know three hour and something movie. Like it, when it was shown in the theater, there's an actual, I think I have the DVDs. There's an actual like 15 minute intermission thing on the DVD where mm, people could wow. go out and get popcorn or whatever wow. during the intermission. Um, Charlton Heston, I think this particular one was made in 59 or 62 or something. It won a ton of Oscars back when movies were good. And deserved Oscars. Because movies aren't good anymore. Movies are not good anymore. They're terrible. The Oscar winning movies are horrendous. <laughs> What's the difference? I mean, why the ben best Hur? movie? I've never even heard of the ben best Hur. movie I've seen in the last few years was um, Top, Top Gun, Gun Maverick. Mm. Easily. Yeah. yeah. It didn't preach anything. They just, it was fun. <laughs> so um, Ben Hur is about a guy named Judah Ben Hur. Judah Ben means son of Ben Hur. Okay. So, um, all throughout his life, he gets put in these bad situations, like bad situations. So this is a popular, Nick, have you heard of Ben-Hur? I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. I wouldn't say it's popular. Okay. But. Well, just give me the one thing that you like so much about it. It's all about redemption. Redemption. If you want. Okay. That's in a nutshell. Because all throughout his life, things happen and he's always a righteous man, no matter what. Mm. Okay. He can choose to hate his lot in life and all that and boohoo and all that, but he always does the right thing. Okay. And that's something, you know, I think we need to aim for. Mm -hmm. We miss the target sometimes, but I just really like that. I'm a little bit of an aficionado of those movies from the late fifties, early Mm sixties, the Bible epics, the 10 commandments one, eh, not quite as much. That's another Charlton Heston one, but the robe, um, via, Covidas. So are you like an eighty-year-old man in a fifty-year-old body? <laughs> a fifty-nine-year-old man. Body. <laughs> you know how you met people like that? You know, like they have like he's an old, old soul. soul. That's yeah. what I'm saying. I'm like deep. I don't know how many fifty-year-old people that would be like, man, my favorite movie was Ben Hur. <laughs> like I just don't know that. I that probably would be read the case. something about it like twenty-five years ago or something, and thought, yeah. well, I so I rented it and really liked it. There's nothing wrong with so being an old DVD. soul. I didn't mean that bad. Like I don't know that I'm an old. Oh, I don't take it that okay. way. I don't feel like I'm an old soul. I'm actually, I mean, I act, usually act younger than I actually, nobody guesses me to be 59. Okay. Nobody. Okay. Because I act like a child most of the time, (laughs) but it's true. I'm pretty immature, but, um, I like to have fun. I don't want to be a grumpy old man. I decided that 20, 30 years ago, I'm going to be an old man someday. Hopefully if I am, I'm going to be grumpy or a funny old man. Mm -hmm. My goal is to be a funny old man, not a grumpy old man. Okay. Just, 
I got a lot of weird things going on. No, it's not weird. Again, no, I, I have just, a lot of quirks. I fully admit it. It's okay. Yeah, I just think there are certain <laughs> things like for people, not even necessarily how you act, like what you relate to. That's from an old soul standpoint, not necessarily how we act, but there's just certain relational things. Like we attach ourselves to this time period because mm-hmm. just who we are. I never thought like, of myself as an old soul. Well, maybe I am. Yeah. Who knows? Well, you're, I mean, you're a deep thinker. You know, I try to be and in the world of social media and flipping through things like you don't have a lot of deep thinkers anymore, you know, who process things around. I was talking level. with my middle daughter, uh, Heather, who mm-hmm. you took to Ukraine years ago mm-hmm. as yep. a part of a mission team. And yeah, isn't that cool. She can say she'd been to Kiev and now it's getting bomb, <laughs> it's bombed out. It doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. I've thought about that more than once and how I hugged you when, when we got back and thank you for taking care of my daughter <laughs> in this foreign land. And, uh, I would say I was a wreck, yeah. but, um, she has a kid now, has another one on the way in five weeks. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that'll be our sixth grand grandkid. Mm-hmm. But we were talking on the way to Fort, to, to Menards in Fort Wayne today and on the way back. And she's an old, she is an old soul. Okay. She is a critical thinker. She's a lot like me that way. And I'm not saying Cheryl, my wife, isn't a critical thinker. She's a very smart lady, but Heather and I think a lot alike. Mm. And there are just things she'll do or say. And well, the reason I thought this or did this was this. And I'm like, mm. wow, that's exactly how I go about my way of thinking. Mm. If you could get, Jennifer, if you could go back and live in a time period, what time period would you live in? Um, maybe just like the fifties. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> Sock hops, poodle skirts. Probably. I don't like, um, yeah, I like the prairie days and I don't oh, want to go man. back to medieval you times. Don't be, you want to be in the 1900s? And- That's way too much work. Yeah, huh? no, no, okay. no. Okay. What would, what would you do? Fifties too? Uh, is it a cop out to say just right now? No, I, I don't. I just have, didn't know if there was an era. Like if you could take a time machine. I enjoyed the eighties. I think eighties is the best decade of music. Um, like what's eighties music? Just what's a uh, flock of seagulls, Mike and the mechanics, a lot of one hit wonders back there. Duran, Duran, <laughs> things like that. You've never heard of them either. Have you? <laughs> Nick, are, you, old, are you like, you into the, do you know all these things? Mike and the mechanics and Duran, Duran and. Tears for Fears. The thing, oh, that's an old. Yeah, uh, probably true. Paul and I just don't listen to music, so I don't really know. And see, that's yeah, most of what I do. I'm a music person. That's just music aficionado. So okay, but so you wouldn't go back to a time. You would be like, I'm good right here. If somebody gave you a time machine, you're like, I ain't going back nowhere. You know, one of Cheryl's favorite series is Little House on the Prairie, and I dig it. It's okay, you know. But I think about how hard Charles Ingalls had to work. You know, you plant the crops mm-hmm. with just an oxen and a one bottom plow or whatever they call it. I'm a city guy, so I'm going to get some of the terminology wrong. But, and he's out there and he's just, and the wheat starts coming up and then a tornado comes. Yeah. So he replants it. And then a lightning storm comes and catches it on fire or something like all in the same year. And I'm just like, that is too hard. I can't. <laughs> I want to go to Walmart. <laughs> I, like, want, I know you hunt and all that and you, you know, you have farms and butcher things and all that. And I'm like, my meat comes on a styrofoam tray. I've never grown my own meat. I've never, I've never harvested my own deer. I don't fish. Like I'm in real trouble if, you know, whatever hits the fan and, and we no, have you're to just hunt gonna and find gather. The, you're just going to find the hunter gatherers and you're going to. 
Yeah. I'm going to pay him money or (laughs) glom on somehow. I got, well, like on Survivor, you have to make yourself, which I really don't like that show that much, but you have to make yourself valuable. So you kicked Mm -hmm. off the island, right? Right. But not too valuable because then you're, Mm -hmm. people want to get rid of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever wanted to be on Survivor? (laughs) Never. Oh man. I've wanted to be on Survivor. I don't know if I can make it. That would be interesting. Me on Survivor? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know the whole food part. I'm a fatty who loves to eat. So to eat coconuts and <laughs> yeah, you know, nothing. Go out in the ocean and just hunt things with your hands. Yeah, no, if you could go and, like, I go back to the early days, guys jumping out of trees, spearing pigs and, you know, going out. If they had Survivor in the Northwest or something, <laughs> yeah, like yes. Oregon somewhere where or there Washington. Is food. Somewhere where there is so food. So you'd be like doing like Rambo jumping out of yeah, trees. I wouldn't and- want to do something. I'd be starving. <laughs> Killing yeah. things with a Rambo knife. Most influential time in your life, thing other than birth of your kids and giving your life to Jesus. <laughs> like, has there been something that's been like monumental or maybe a couple things that have been real monumental in your life? Not really. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you were, uh, that's not the answer you wanted. No, like my, nothing that just stood out to you. Pretty, my life has been pretty consistent. Okay. I have been raised in a Christian home. Okay. We started going to church when I was five. Okay. And been going ever since. I'm just like, it's just been consistent. I know, but in that journey, you never had moments where you felt like, I, I'm not saying like I drifted away and came back. I'm just like things yeah. in your life where you're like, this is something that I could point to where really saw God working, really saw God do, you know, amazing things here or there. I, I have several things where God has talked to me. You, you can't describe it. If, if you've had that happen, you know what I'm talking about. It's not an audible voice, but it kind of is. And you just, when you mm-hmm. hear God, you hear God. Um, I would, I would point back to, I did grow up in church. I was in church three to four times a week during Bible quiz season. I was in church four times a week, Sunday morning, mm-hmm. Sunday night. Wednesday night youth group, Thursday night Bible quiz practices. Mm-hmm. All well and good. My best friends were at church, not at school. And when our youth pastor got to preach one morning, he was preaching on not wearing masks. Now, I hadn't felt like I was wearing any kind of mask, you know, putting mm-hmm. up a facade. Oh, got it. Yeah. Got it. Not, not like, yeah, I was going back to COVID, COVID masks. See, thought, we've been so yeah. conditioned. Yeah. Um, but, and I remember me and this other guy, uh, he like reached over and grabbed my hand. Kind of, kind of weird. Never done that. But he's, he's a very emotional guy. And we just sat there like in the front pew or the second pew or something. I think we were in the front pew. And when he gave the altar call, me and my friend Doug went up to the altar. I say rededicated my life mm-hmm. because I had been baptized in the mm-hmm. whole bit before that. And had been in church, had been a good you know Christian boy and all that. And I didn't feel like I was wearing a mask, but I think I had just turned 18. And what I said, and I still remember it to this day, is I will never go to church out of habit ever again in my life. Mm. And I have not. Mm. Not that it's bad. Being in church is great. Right. But I will always go to serve. That takes, you know, different forms sometimes. Sometimes you have seasons of rest, which I've kind of been doing for, for a few years now. But like, I will never go out of habit again. Mm-hmm. So, and you think that was like taking off the mask, like at that point of like, like I said, I didn't feel like I was wearing any kind of mask, but I was raised in a Christian home where my parents both went to church and, and, and I basically took their religion and made it mine is how I say it. Mm -hmm. Not that it wasn't mine growing up, but 
a lot of kids nowadays grow up, they go to college mm-hmm. and like they fall away from the Lord. So was the faith really theirs or was it their parents? And they just went to church because their parents wanted them to. And you, you know, you know, yeah, all of this, you sure. know, the statistics probably better than I do. But I, I remember thinking, this is my faith. I'm owning it now. And that's a turning point in my life. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, do I follow perfectly? Uh, of course not. Well, but so, it's been I mean, a consistent, consistent mm-hmm. thing since then. So from that perspective, somebody that's grown up in church, always known the Lord, had a family, what are some of the greatest challenges of being a believer then? Like, do you think in your faith now, yeah. you know, like what, it, what's a challenge of being? It, it, it's a, it's, it's hard because I remember you, you used to preach sermons about how you need to be able to suffer for the Lord and sacrifice and all this. And I'm like, do I have to go out and like seek the suffering? How does this work? Mm-hmm. Because I grew up very middle class. My dad worked his tail off mm-hmm. at GM. Um, my mom was a homemaker. I, I'm very middle class. I work really hard. Cheryl was a homemaker, has been back to work now for 10 years. But um, do do I go out and seek the suffering? Do I go out and seek to be a martyr somehow? I, I'm n- I was never <laughs> sure how that works. In the church I'm at now, the pastor will preach on that stuff sometimes too. And it's like, I just keep doing what I'm doing. What God has put in front of me, mm-hmm. number one, is my family. And any boy that comes and wants to marry my daughters, they all understood. My daughters told any guy that was serious, if you ask for my hand in marriage, you, you have to go to my dad and ask him. Mm-hmm. Old soul, right? Yeah. And uh, when they come to me, here's what I tell them. I said, I would like you to be the spiritual leader of your house and the main provider and protector. That doesn't mean the wife can't go out and work, but like be the main provider and protector. Those are the only three things I ask of you. I have no way of enforcing them, but that's the charge I put before you. Mm-hmm. So... Um, that's just kind of my conception of, I don't know where yeah, I'm, no, where I'm I just, at. Again, I didn't know if there were just challenging aspects of, you know, because for people that, I mean, different, whatever your past is, or whatever your history is, is that, you know, the idea, and I think where every preacher's coming from when they preach the message of, if you are, Jesus says, if you love me, the world will hate you. Right. I think that's more of like not seek out suffering, but it does say that somewhere in there, there's going to be a conflict with the world. The challenges of living out faith at some point is going to become challenging or should become challenging. You would think, you know, and so I think that was, everybody has their own level of challenge. As a teenager, I remember writing this down. Maybe my youth pastor had said something to this effect, but I remember writing this down. Like if you aren't, if you aren't being persecuted for being a Christian, are you right? And I wrote that down out as a teenager in my twenties or something. I was reading scripture and I forget which scripture I read, but I thought it might've been if the world hated me, it'll hate you. Right. You know, if you're doing it right, basically right. you're going to be persecuted. And I thought, well, if you're not being persecuted, maybe you're not doing it right. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I try to live out my faith as best I can. I don't go around telling people, you know, fire and brimstone, you're going to hell, mm-hmm. all this stuff. Right. I do have conversations in the course of my work as I go around and, and around the state and uh, do fundraisers for things. I get into f- some fairly deep conversations mm-hmm. on purpose. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, people don't know that when I ask them what they enjoy doing, that I'm going to lead the conversation deeper. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've just gotten very, uh, that's just what I do now. 
Like how about that? About like it. traveling all over. Do you have like a conversation or a situation that sticks out to you? Be like, I was just going around and we were here and I had this conversation and man, it went somewhere. I had a conversation with a lady who was helping carry the food in from the trailer, uh, from the back of the trailer. And I hadn't seen her all night. She came out. Other people had been doing it. It was dark. And she was a single mother, I think, with a sixth grade boy. It was in an elementary school, I think, near Tipton, Indiana. And she was talking a little bit. She had gone through something where she had, something was going on in here. And I forget if she'd had surgery. Anyway, she was new to the school system. And her son hadn't made any friends and things like that. And I went in to settle up and... Uh, to, to get paid after the fish fry. And a couple of ladies were like, yeah, that lady helped, but we really don't. I didn't know her. And they mm-hmm. started to, I want to say, make fun of her a little bit. And something rose up within me. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to say, she's new here. Mm-hmm. And so, so I said, you know, she's new here. She has a sixth grade son and she has no friends. It'd be really cool if you guys could just mm-hmm. talk to her, mm-hmm. you know? Because think about being somebody totally new to a school system who has no friends. Right. Put yourself in her shoes. Right. Oh, those two ladies turned right around and whereas they had kind of started to make fun of her, Mm. I saw them talking to her then. Mm. So it's little things like that. Right. I got picked on a little bit when I was a kid. I was really small. I I was a run. I was five, 420 pounds as a junior in high school. What? How tall are you now? Six, one. I grew seven inches in less than How a year. How the world does that happen? I was going to say, did you take a pill? I mean, is there a, like, I don't know. a gross I was a late bloomer. Let's just say that. Yeah, there were guys in, in PE that were, we are on the universal machine. They're lifting the stack, benching the stack. I could bench my own weight. I could do it 10 times. Mm-hmm. But like I got to 130, 10 pounds over my weight, I benched. I was like, yeah. I could climb the rope. No, no feet, no legs, just my hands though. Wow. Like, so like, yeah, no, I was just thinking you, I mean, for people that are listening, so I got seeing, I mean, you're a big guy now. I mean, you don't look like I'm six, one, two, two thirty, but I I grew to be six, one, one fifty five in a year. Mm. Yeah. Then one sixty five by the time I graduated from college when I was 20, 23, barely. Wow. Um, so I got picked on a little bit. There was no internet Mm -hmm. for people to bully me on, but I got picked on a little bit by little, you know, usually bigger kids only once. Because I always took care of business and they never bothered me again. How did you take care of business? Um, I never punched anyone. They would end up on the ground or with their arm behind their back. I had a move where I'd have their arm behind their back. like a jujitsu guy. Uh, I just taught myself that. (laughs) I went to no classes. It's just a move I came up with and it worked. So I went with it. But so now when I see people being bullied, just something rises up in Mm. me that I am just, mm. and I'm like, when I hear about, I go to a fish fry and some little 12 year old girl is carrying food around mm. for seconds and thirds and mm-hmm. for the all you can eat part. And she comes out she's like, yeah, this one guy was yelling at me. Mm. Yeah, I'm like, if I go in there and talk to him, do you think he'll yell at me? I don't think so. Right. Don't we're supposed to mm-hmm. mm. mm. <laughs> keep going. Let, let, it out. let it out. <laughs> Look, those of us, who are bigger, stronger, whatever, are supposed to take care of the weaker ones. Mm -hmm. Whatever form that takes, whether it's the women, the children, all that stuff, we're supposed to take care of them, not bully them. Right. 
I'll, I'll just put it that way. And it really, really, as you may be able to tell, really ticks me off when the people who are supposed to be protecting are doing the opposite. Yeah, well, let's. Well, okay. Because <laughs> you just probably wanted more fish and she didn't have fish. She just had chicken. Well, that so doesn't matter. Act yeah. like an adult and don't right. be a baby. Right. Like, it'll get to you. Okay, so well, let's stupid. use an example. Go to what used to be Richard's restaurant, which is the old people's restaurant, and be a waitress there and mm. see how many of those waitresses get bullied by the old people that mm. don't get their way. Because mm. uh, the older mm. people get, people are like, oh, we just say what, no, that's not the way I've it works. I've seen it. Mm. You're right. It's not the way they it do. works. The older you get, yeah. the more selfish you become, mm. the more you think about yourself, and the more that if somebody makes a mistake, yeah, you're on them. Like, like seriously, this is mm. just, I do, I don't... Mm-hmm. I think what comes out of your mouth is inside of your heart. I don't mm-hmm. think it comes out of your mouth unless it's in your heart, you know? And so the whole idea. I of, mean, Paul said that in first Corinthians. Yeah. So I'm just saying Six, like, if you're going to be, if you're going to talk yeah. to somebody like that, it's not like, Oh, my food. There's something in you that mm-hmm. sees that person as yeah. a lesser person. What's in a man's heart comes out of his mouth. It's yeah. the overflow of the heart. Yeah. And again, we ought to be helping people. The people that would be, what would be most impressive is, Hey, could you use some help? Tell me what you want done. I'll bust some tables. Right. Instead, they're complaining. Yeah. And they're, they say as you get old, you revert back to being a child. Mm. Children are selfish. They're very self-centered. Yeah. Are you going to be a self-centered old person? Yeah. You know, stop and think. Stop and think if that was your daughter being the server, would you want her being treated that way? Mm-hmm. Or your right. granddaughter? Right. You would not. Mm-hmm. So don't treat them that way. Right. What's it called? The golden rule? Yeah, but I'm just thinking mm-hmm. the bullying <laughs> thing. You just yeah. see it and the, the older people get... It's not necessarily mm-hmm. physical bullying, but it's it's for sure in a standpoint I, of. I've, Cheryl and I went to um, Walmart one day and we came out and a guy was kind of bullying his wife. And I walked up to him. I said, you put the jujitsu move on? No, I didn't touch him. <laughs> That's what I'm just thinking. This is going to be the throwdown in Walmart parking lot. <laughs> you better be careful. He may do that to you. Florida, man. I don't right think so. <laughs> Mike is stronger than I am. I don't take on a opponent that's oh, bigger and stronger than no, I am. No, I just, all of a sudden when he said, walked out of Walmart and a guy bowling, here's my picture. This is going to be bad. Here was a guy in his pajama pants out there in the parking lot yelling at his wife and Ken's on top of him with his arm behind his back. That was what, what that's the first thing he, that went he to He was my yelling head. at her, but I imagine that stuff goes on at home that's worse than that. Yeah, for sure. And there's nothing I can do about that. Yeah. And I walked up to him. And I said, mm-hmm. dude, this ain't happening here. It right. ain't happening. He's like, it's none of your whatever blanky mm-hmm. blank right. business. I said, it is my business. You're doing this in public. Mm-hmm. I have no control over whatever goes on at home. It's not happening. Right. He didn't right. touch me. I didn't touch him. If he touches me, fair game. And it's on. It's whatever. Yeah. I got different moves now behind there <laughs> besides the arm thing. Yes. I, I love I am, Don't mess with Ken. I'm at least two times stronger than I was when yeah, I used to, then. when I was a teenager. Yeah. And I'm you the, got more. I am easily the strongest I've ever been, mm-hmm. even at 59. And you have more than behind the back moves. Like your arm behind I'm not back. as quick or agile. No, so I it's going to have to be. You're choking them out. You're going to be arm triangle <laughs> chokes. Um, I mean. I don't, I don't know Brazilian jiu-jitsu. <laughs> that stuff just takes way too much thinking. But. Um, I have worked the heavy bag with no gloves before just there to toughen go. up my fist yeah. for the fun of it. Things like that. Yeah. Uh, I can't kick anymore. I used to be able to kick people in the face if I wanted to, but I don't have that. My I'm leg not, has never made it that far. I'm up. not that limber anymore. So no. that's not an option, but I'm just saying, obviously not the kind of things you want to do, Yeah, but you could do it. But as I get older, 
one of the reasons I lift is to be able to take care of myself. If somebody yeah. goes, let's pick on the old guy. I'm like, mm-hmm. you sure you want to do that? Right. I don't think you do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the most influential person in your life and why? Like my dad and mom. Okay. Uh, they raised me in a Christian home. My mom is the oldest of six kids. She was born nine months after my grandma's 18th birthday. My grandma got married on her 18th birthday. Mm. My mom was born nine months later. My grandma had five more kids within six years. Mm. My mom is the oldest of six. Out of those six kids, two are Christians. Mm. My dad, out of four kids, is the oldest of four. I would say he's the only Christian. Mm. Two of the others might have been, but they didn't really act like it. Right. So my parents get married and somehow... They raised me in a Christian home. Hmm. I are you from Huntington? I'm not. I'm from Flint, Michigan. Oh, okay. So um, I'm not gonna say I'm lucky because I don't believe in luck, but I am very blessed to have been raised in the home I was raised in mm-hmm. by the parents I was raised. Right. That raised me. Um, I have one sister. She's two and a half years younger than me. She's awesome. So the, those are yeah. My mom and dad are the two most influential people in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So talk about in the beginning, you said you had this aha moment two years ago where you're looking out and you're seeing everybody on Memorial Day and you're like, I'm a patriarch. Like one, why then, you know, why did that come up? And what are you, has anything changed now that you've realized that? Like, is there, Oh, there has to be change. (laughs) I'm asking, (laughs) like, won't you see that if if you're like, Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah. Like this came up. And then is there. Okay. We don't know why we have aha moments or okay. as Michael Scott would say, epiphory. Do you know who Michael Scott is? Uh, the office. It's the office. Guy. Okay. Yeah. I do know that because Isaac loves the office. He says, so I had yes. an epiph. And then he doesn't know the rest of the word. So he goes, an epiphory. Yeah. It's an epiphany. <laughs> the aha moment, we don't know why we have them. Hmm. Otherwise, they're not aha moments. They're just something we read in a book or, or saw on social media or whatever that we thought was awesome that. I don't know why that hit me just then and there. Have things changed since then? Not not really. Okay. I mean, I, I do act goofy sometimes, but I'm an adult when I have to be, mm-hmm. which is a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah, but I think that the thing that, again, maybe I just saw this wrong, but like mm-hmm. when you're saying I'm sitting back with this understanding now that I'm a patriarch there are people under me that I'm responsible for. There are people for. looking up to me. Right. And it's not like I haven't known that for okay. decades So now. the whole, this like patriarch part just came in like, oh, I am. But you're saying you're living as if, you were already living as if there are people under you oh, and you're definitely. working. Yeah. You know. But it just hit me, that that word in particular hit me. Okay. Um, and I know the word gets tossed around, oh, the patriarchy and how it's bad and it oppresses women and all that. Um, That's a word that gets thrown around? Patriarchy, yeah. That that means you... The patriarchy is bad. That means you oppress women? That's bad every time. If they use the word patriarchy, it's going to be bad. Um, Yeah, trust me. Okay. But in the Bible, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you know, Abraham, the patriarch, then Isaac is a patriarch, then Jacob slash Israel, patriarch. So I look at men like that and I say, so yeah, I'm no Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob for sure, but God has given me people to be an example to and mm-hmm. to take care of. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's what a patriarch does. 
Yeah, you so set can an you example give... and, you, and you take care of pe- the people under you. Yeah, so can you talk about some of your examples of like, uh, you know, like mentoring kids, working with kids, or again, taking responsibility for people that are underneath you with the purpose of? The first one I remember is a church I was going to like 30 years ago, and I think he was about a 13-year-old kid. And we just hung out. I mean, I didn't really have any purpose in, like, I didn't consider myself a mentor. Mm -hmm. Fast forward a few years, he's going to Huntington College, and um, he comes to work with me. He works with us a year or two, and it it was pretty cool to hang out with him. Fast forward a little bit more, he has his own family. He has four kids. He contacts me. And he says, hey, you can be doing a fish fry in Fort Wayne because that's where he lives at such and such church. I said, yeah. He's like, I live three blocks from there. I'll come visit. He proceeds to tell me what a big influence I was on his life and all this. And I'm like, I I wasn't really planning. We didn't sit down and go, I'm your mentor and you're my mentee or whatever. Um, just that's the first one I remember and thinking, wow, I didn't know. Um There's another young man who just became, I think, the lead pastor at Faith Community Church, Jason Fields. He considers me a mentor. Mm -hmm. I took him to play basketball on Sunday, like Sundays after church Mm -hmm. at HU, now Huntington College back in the day. Right. Me and some guys are going to go play some pickup basketball. Can I come with you? And one day he's like, I'd see him out in town after he grew up. He's like, oh, the time you spent with me meant so much. I'm like, I had no idea. So those weren't even intentional mentorings. Right. Um, I do have one that I have hung out with a guy recently for eh, the past year and a half. We hung out a lot for almost a year. And uh, that was an intentional mentoring. You you never know how these things are going to take. You know very well in, in all the mentorings you've done, whether it's coaching, mm-hmm. whether it's working with youth in the church, whatever it is, you know, you can do all the mentoring in the world, but if the person you're trying to mentor or disciple isn't willing to put forth the effort, it's going nowhere. Right. It is going nowhere. And there are other men who have asked me to mentor them or disciple them who like one guy we met three times. Uh, He was about my age. We met like three times and then he just kind of quit. Like you can't, you can't get anywhere doing that. And I don't comprehend that. As one who comes into the gym and puts myself through the workouts, I put myself through just because I want to, just mm-hmm. for the fun of it. Right. I don't comprehend like just doing something for th- for three weeks and then going, eh. You know, he got baptized and he's going to be on fire for the Lord. And then it just, within three weeks, it's gone. So it gets frustrating mentoring, discipling sometimes. Right. But I I will give it a go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we just we just see where where it takes us. And how do you run? I mean, again, so for the people that are out there, I mean, one was just like natural circumstances, some guy that you worked with. And so this other guy you sought out because he got baptized or he sought out you? He sought out another guy in the church first. Like I was, I was second or third down the line. And uh, I said, yeah, I'll do it. But my condition used to be understand I will meet with you once a week for three years. My conception of that year, like we're 
Jesus met with the disciples for about three years. Okay. <laughs> Again, this was just mentoring. Mm-hmm. You went to this guy and said, I'm going to meet with you no, for he, three he, years. He came, he came to me and said, I want to meet with you for three says, years. Will you mentor me? I said, I will not mentor you. I will disciple you. Okay. I think there's a difference. What's the difference? You will be studying the Bible and we'll learn some ways to pray, some methods for praying and, you know, how to get closer to God and things like that. Okay. That's, that's how I make the distinction because mentoring, you can do that in, out in the secular world, but it, within the church, I think you can mentor, but I think discipleship to me seems or sounds almost, I mean, it's more spiritual for lack of a better word. Like we are going to be focusing on God's word. I'm going to try to teach you different ways to study God's word, um, different ways to pray um, so that when we're done, you can do it yourself and also pass it along to other people. That's the goal. Um, if if the person never matures any in Christ while you've been mentoring them, it's been for naught. Yeah. It just, just, and I'm assuming this comes up in your mentoring. Like this would be my, or your, discipling? Because this would be my question when it comes to that. So part of the problem of discipleship is, is that discipleship is, or people view it as just learning more about the Bible, which isn't what Jesus did. Like Jesus' disciples didn't just learn more about scripture, right? The idea of discipleship was doing life Understanding truth and putting it in life, understanding truth and putting it in life. So that's why I get like, I'm not saying that's what you were doing, but the concept of, that's why I say mentoring, coaching, discipling, call whatever you want. But the problem is know about scripture, don't know how to apply it to life, you know? So when you disciple, is that part of the concept of helping them understand? I'm just going to say that if, if you get into scripture enough and you have it in your heart, not just your head, Okay, you're going to live it. It's going to take some effort sometimes, but if you have the word of God in you, if okay. you have his indwelling Holy Spirit, okay, I would hope you're living it out. If you're not, you're doing something wrong. Again, well, not that you're not going to make mistakes. Hard. You don't think that's hard? Like, you don't think that there are people out there that are, like, they didn't grow up in Yeah, church, I didn't say right? it was easy. Like they Jesus' didn't disciples, after three years of wandering around with him and seeing him teach and hearing the parables and all that, he had to explain the parables to him because they didn't understand. Right. And he would say, are you still so dull? Like, mm-hmm. sick burn, right? Mm-hmm. Are you still so dull? Man, I thought I was getting it. Just when I thought I was getting it, mm-hmm. he does the parable of the Good Samaritan, and there's no Good Samaritan, right? They're right. half-breeds. So, like, the Good Samaritan, that can't be. When do they really come to understand what he was saying? Not until Pentecost, Mm -hmm. not after he came back from the dead and they go, oh, okay, okay. Then they are in the upper room for 10 days praying and then the Holy Spirit comes. Then their eyes were opened. Mm -hmm. Peter preaches, 3,000 people get saved. Right. A bunch of other people are getting saved and they're like selling property and land and helping each other. Right. So they got all the mentoring and all the discipling in the world from the son of God. (laughs) <laughs> and they still didn't get it. So yes, it's possible to do that and still not understand. And that's where you're going to have to have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you to help you. Or miss the practice. point. I still say part of the problem in, you know, about the Bible, you become a better person and you reach no one. 
So, I mean, conceptually, when the Holy Spirit came in to disciples, the idea was to be somebody who could go out and reach people. I mean, that that's... Go into all the world and make disciples. Yeah. So, teaching like, them, then baptizing them. But I think what happens Father, is, is you get a lot of people that are... Like, I know more about the Bible and I'm a better person, but I don't I don't have any strategy on reaching anybody. Well, like, yeah, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You, you used to say... I haven't gone to church here for like 11 years, but I can't tell you how many times I go, I remember Mike said, <laughs> no, I'm dead serious. <laughs> what is it like? Something like the farthest, the longest distance in the world is the 18 inches between your head and your heart. Mm-hmm. So is that what you're talking about? Like I've got God's word in my head. No. Well, I if think- you have it in your heart, you're going to live that out and you're going to affect people's lives. They're going to see that and they're going to hopefully follow and become a, yeah, no, no, and, I mean, it could just be a long conversation. I just think that the idea of conceptually, when people accept Christ into their heart and they get the Holy Spirit, they tend to be on fire in the beginning for reaching their friends and reaching Correct. the people around them. That fire tends to go out the more that they get into Bible studies and learning more about the Bible. Mm-hmm. I just see, I mean, you see it in churches all the time. I mean, you see this, this concept of people give their life to Christ and they're super excited and they invite their friends. And then you get into, Hey, I'm going to study more about the word. And I'm, and again, you know me, like, I think you should study the word. I think you should learn more about the Bible, but I think you turn it into these groups of people or cliques of people that know way more about the Bible than they're ever doing. And then we put it out there to say, well, you know, they'll just know by the way that they live. No, they won't know by the way that they live. They'll know because you told them. It's not just about the way they live. Somebody has to give them the gospel. It's like somebody has to say they have to hear. They don't come to know Christ because they saw the way you lived. Like that's not how they come to know. They come to know because somebody told them. Like somebody has to tell them about Jesus. It might be the way that you live and you get them to come to church and somebody else told them, you know, about it. But there has to be this idea that what I am doing is leading people to Jesus and what I am doing is furthering the kingdom. I mean, that's... So you lead them to Jesus, then what? Huh? You lead them to Jesus. You present the gospel message. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ died for your sins. God the Father demands perfection. You can't be in his presence unless you're perfect. Right. Well, I can never be perfect. Jesus was perfect. The perfect spotless lamb of God. Right. So you have to ask him mm-hmm. to be that in right. your stead. Right. Tony Evans says, one of my one of my favorite preachers, when you become a child of God, when the father looks at you, he doesn't see you. He puts his Jesus glasses on. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, I love that one mm-hmm. so much because right. you can just think of, mm-hmm. and he sees Jesus, not you, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I forgot where I was going. No, you let, said, let me tell you what happens when you get old. <laughs> no, you were just saying like, so then they give their life to Christ. Well, then what? I, okay. mean, I mean, again, I think that. So now growth is expected. Paul talks about, you know, you've had pure spiritual milk up until this point. Mm-hmm. Then the writer of Hebrews says, you've had that milk, it's time to move on to some meat. Mm-hmm. And he describes those things. And I forget what they are, but like one of them is knowing the word of God. If you don't know the word of God very well, and you have all the enthusiasm in the world, but you start spouting off things that say sound scriptural. Well, I heard this on the TikToks. Yeah, I said it on purpose like that, like an old person. I heard it on the TikToks <laughs> or the Facebook or what mm-hmm. have you. Um, and, and you go, well, that that's in the Bible. And then you realize that's not even in the Bible, like, but it's not. So 
let's say you have all the enthusiasm in the world, but very little Bible knowledge. I, I could see that leading to, to bad things. Like we're seeing it in a lot of apostate churches now. I, I could name pastors if you want who have gone apostate and just are leading their people down a bad path mm-hmm. because they've gotten away from scripture and the God of scripture. God does have standards. So let's not pretend like he doesn't. And yeah, sometimes I, we grow, A.W. Yeah. Tozer said, we've blown grace out of all proportion of what it was originally meant to, to be. Like grace doesn't give you license to go out and, and do all kinds of crazy things that even a lot of Christians are doing now and saying and thinking. Like narrow is the road and few there are that find it. Mm-hmm. But narrow is the road because very few people understand relationship. I think narrow is the road because of pride. I just thought this a few years ago, like my mom's dad, my grandpa had the word preached to him more than once by my mom, by my dad. Mm -hmm. He refused it because of pride. Come to find out his two brothers went to college. He never did, but he was a very proud man because he learned on read books on his own and stuff and Mm -hmm. very proud man. And he died not knowing Christ because of pride. I got to officiate his funeral, first funeral I ever did. Mm -hmm. But I was asked by two of my non-believing aunts to do his funeral. Interesting, because I'm Mm -hmm. a religious one in the family. What do you talk about at a funeral of your grandpa who didn't know the Lord? Mm -hmm. So I just asked God what to say, and he told me. The funeral director was like, that's the best funeral I've seen in a long time. Where are you a pastor? I said, I'm not. I'm just a dude. I'm just a caterer. <laughs> but I asked God what to say, and I wrestled with it part of the night right. um, in the motel room, sleeping on the floor because we didn't have enough bed space for everyone. Um, I got up the next day, looked up a couple more things, wrapped it up, and said, this is what God told me to say. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, man. I I see what you're saying. You don't want to lose the enthusiasm, but I get enthusiastic about stuff. I don't think it's enthusiasm. How, like, I don't think reaching your friends for Jesus is enthusiastic. It is God gives you a heart for lost people. It's and, not, and, and, and that's and, enthusiasm dies out. Like, and, and back in my day, we called that die. evangelism. And then we called what came after discipleship. Maybe you say there's not much difference between the two, but I'm saying that you could lead somebody in the sinner's prayer, for instance, and they could repent, they could get baptized. And I've seen it happen. Actually, more than once, I talked about the one guy a little bit ago, got baptized, and then mm-hmm. no follow-through. Mm-hmm. I know another guy that got baptized. He was on fire for the Lord. No follow-through. Pretty mm-hmm. soon, he's not even coming to church. Right. Mm-hmm. So where do you take somebody who accepted the Lord, if you want to put it that way, mm-hmm. accepted Jesus into their heart, repented the whole bit, got baptized as a seal of the faith and as a witness that now I'm a new man, I'm a mm-hmm. new person in Christ, but then they veer off. They don't do any work to know the Father any more deeply, to know Jesus any more deeply than mm-hmm. that. You're going nowhere in that case. And that's where we need, beyond Bible knowledge, we need that intimacy with, with God. Right. And that's, that's a, little bit, a little bit difficult to obtain sometimes. I think that scares men away, actually, Which a little part? bit. So there are... There are more females that are Christians than men that are Christians. One of my theories, I have a lot of theories. One of my theories is you're told that 
so there's, there's this dude, Jesus, and you have to give your life to him. And now you have to like submit to him, mm -hmm. to his will. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit more difficult for a guy to go, yeah, I'm going to submit to this guy figure, this mm -hmm. male figure. Mm -hmm. Whereas women are kind of socialized as they're growing up. Like I'm going to be a wife and mother and they're going to have a husband and they're going to work together. But like, she's going to take her husband's name. Usually that kind of thing. Dudes be like, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I'm my own man kind of thing. That's so not, that, that's just, a, that's you, Jennifer. Like you think it'd be easier for you to submit? Yeah, it's easier for me to submit. Really? Like you think yeah. that, that theory, the idea that it's harder for men, but it's easier for women just because of the way we grow up? Mostly. We're just getting a women's perspective. I'm not sure if it's like the way we grow up, but maybe it is. I've never thought about that, but. Yeah. That's why I say it's a theory. Yeah. But yeah, no, is. I'm just I mean, interested in what Jennifer thought. Yeah, that's true. You know, we, we grow up that, yeah, we're going to be married to a man and you do, you take his name and, that you know, they're like the, the see, leader of your home. And so it's used to, and, and as men, yeah, I mean, that's, that could be why some of them, because it's like, I don't want to be told what I'm supposed to do or like the intimacy part, you know, yeah. for a guy to go into yeah. silence and to talk about his feelings or what mm -hmm. he's thinking about. Mm -hmm. It's easier for women. I mean, that's just how we're wired. We're very emotional and we like to talk about that kind of stuff. But guys just like, mm, don't want to tell you what I'm thinking. Um, Except for so. some guys, we will tell you what we're thinking. Yeah. I just think <laughs> my, my biggest thing was, is I think I just saw a bunch of weak, uh, pastors, weak, mm -hmm. Guys that call themselves Christians right. that were weak mm -hmm. men that I'm mean, like, why would I ever want to be like that? Like, mm -hmm. I see a lot of these pastors. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you relate with this guy? He's a pansy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, the guy's a, a complete pansy. Like, I wouldn't talk to this guy in public, you know, because just, and again, it's all perception. But again, they yeah, don't yeah. look anything like me. They don't act anything like me. There's zero relatability. Mm -hmm. You know, there's like, I'll never understand that guy or the way that he lives or the things that he right. does or how he like that just didn't make sense to me. If you're so, a Christian, you're going to be a sissy. Yeah. Like you're you, a man. Yeah. When you, yeah. when you get, when you become a Christian, you get sissified, mm -hmm. you know, and we'll actually spend a time I with think Christ. we should make I mean, a shirt with that on it. He's like supposed to make you stronger. You know, you get your strength from him. So by spending time with him, you actually become better yeah, than what I, you were before. But I don't, don't you think it's far, it's rare to see a strong Christian man that, yeah, I mean, it's just... And that's what we're going to talk about here pretty soon, right? Yeah, I mean, I just think that that's hard. Like, mm -hmm. I think that it's hard that either you got to conform, you know, to the mm -hmm. cleaned up version, you know, of Christian men or this, mm -hmm. you know, of what, what that looks like. And now, I, I knew dudes growing up, and as I get older, and as a lot of these men, especially for me, there are a few women that have passed on from the church I grew up in in Flint, Michigan that I hear, oh, my mom and dad are like, oh, we're going to so-and-so's funeral in Flint. And they live in, in Huntington now. But so they'll go up to Michigan, go to the mm -hmm. funeral. But for me, it's been mostly men because I'm a man. Mm -hmm. And I think of these men who have died. And if I get to go to their funeral, I get to hear stuff I never knew about them. Mm -hmm. like it's pretty it's pretty pretty cool. I actually yeah. like going to funerals for that reason. Mm -hmm. Your stuff about people that mm -hmm. you... Like one guy wrote poetry. Mm. I had no clue. <laughs> this little, very quiet, 80-whatever-year-old dude wrote poetry. Mm. They read a couple mm. of his poems at his funeral. I was like, yeah. man, I wish I would have known that guy. Mm -hmm. But you don't, you don't know what people are going through. You see these, what you say are weak or milquetoast guys. Well, that's a, you know, maybe, again, that's a perception. No, I'm no, not saying they are. I, I know, and that's that. what you said. So, but you don't know 
what they go through, like in their regular life, you know, maybe they're not as milk toast in their regular life. And because they're wearing a suit and a tie, which is how I grew up in church, my pastor wore a suit and tie every Sunday. And that's changed generally, generationally, right? But, um, well, and relatability, that, nothing you heard from the sermon, mm-hmm. nothing you heard from the stories, nothing that you heard them talk about on stage ever would, would tell me any differently. That was, again, I would just think this relatability, like as a man, how do I relate to, I mean, anything that's being set up there, I have no relatability. So it wasn't just that I didn't see it. It's also that you don't, you don't relate it either. I think on, we get the idea too, that Jesus was some kind of hippie that went around like a flower child and just said, peace be unto you. Yeah, all the old, like medieval, he's always going like this or something. I don't know what the deal with that mm-hmm. is, but um, he wasn't. Like you and I could not have died the death he did. I don't care how tough you think you are. Right. Especially if I had, he said I could call 12 legions of angels to set me free. 12 legions. I don't know how many that is. It's a lot. It's thousands. (laughs) It's a lot. Right. Okay. He didn't. Right. He had the ability to, he didn't. Right. Meekness. Mm -hmm. You and I couldn't go through that. That's a man right there. Mm Mm-hmm. The stuff he could have done as a man, as far as smiting people, instead he healed people. He brought people back from the dead and he used his power for good. So you talk about a manly man walking everywhere, fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Right. You're a foodie. Yeah. You couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. I I fasted for six days once. How long is the longest you've ever fasted? Uh, I've done like a 40 day fast. Have you ever done food for a length of time? Not totally off of food, but I've done the Daniel fast, yeah. you know, and I... Have you ever done it all off of day. food? Vegetables only, right? Have you ever done it all off of food one time? Yeah. Mm-hmm. For How six, long did you go? For six days. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Me too. I thought I was going to die. I, I, I went was, to Burger King and ate every single, <laughs> as many Whoppers as I could I was, eat afterwards. I was, oh, I was yeah. fine. Wow. It becomes a mental thing. Like you think you need food, but you don't. Oh, I know, but I but do. what I, I do was... <laughs> What I found was my mind started like, I couldn't think quite right. So I started, I would drink a protein, protein shake. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just like water and juice. I had to have some kind of, some kind of protein because my job gets physically demanding sometimes. And if you're burning a ton of calories and you have to do some thinking sometimes and my mind just started like. You might've put your hand in the deep fryer. I was, yeah, I was, I was getting some brain fog. And yeah. I just remember seeing these movies, TV movies back in the day uh, of, of communes back in the hippie communes. Yeah. And they would, they would talk people into being in the commune and they wouldn't give them any protein so they could brainwash them easier. Wow. Is that true? I don't know. That's what these TV movies said. Really? So I was I just like, I'm going to drink protein shakes so okay. I can't be brainwashed. Mm-hmm. That's okay. my reasoning. <laughs> Got it. So let's talk about, we'll wrap it up. Talk about the idea of leaving a legacy, working with men, the things that you were talking about, you know, early on with Jennifer. Talk us through that, where you're at with that in your life. Yeah. So I mentioned two or three of the people, four that I've mentored or kind of mentored mm-hmm. intentionally or unintentionally. Um, and my heart does of course, go out to men. I can't mentor women. That's that's not acceptable. Women right. have to mentor women. And she and I talked on the phone last week when she called me and said, hey, we may push you back or whatever. I said, that's fine. She said, we need to find people that are going to kind of line up with sermons that are happening or coming up. And I said, well, let me leave you with, um, <laughs> I guess if you want to know where I'm at right now, it's legacy. 
is my main one. And my legacy is my children, my sons-in-law, my grandchildren, obviously. But also there are people in my life that I have, I won't say poured into them, Mm -hmm. but I've hung out with and have poured into them. Right. That, um, let's say I want to leave the world better than I found it, but that sounds so cliche. Hmm. But I want people to be stronger and know more and find, we talk about spiritual gifts. That's a huge one with me too, because sometimes we plug, try to plug a, a round hole with a square peg mm-hmm. and it just doesn't work out. And you used to talk about this too, where if you can, if you can find, help somebody find where their word gets overused, but passion is mm-hmm. where they really, man, it's not work for them. Right. And if you can help lead and mentor them in that, then they become an incredible, huge force for good. Right. Because mm-hmm. they're doing something that they just love. So I, I kind of enjoy doing that too. And. So is legacy mm-hmm. something for you that's new conceptually? Like you just started thinking about pretty much. I yeah. want to leave In the a last legacy. couple of years. Yeah. And so when, mm-hmm. when that started, when that, thought process came about like, Hey, I want to leave a legacy. What are, were there some intentional things then that you did to say, okay, I, because I want to leave a legacy because I want to make sure that I find the world and leave the world better than what it was that I pour into whatever those things are. Were there some specific things that changed for you to, to help that process? Not really. Not really. Um, For instance, we have one grandkid over one night a week. Okay. Um, That's intentional. I have three daughters. I now have four grandsons. So I get to hang out with dudes, little dudes (laughs) that I never got to do because I had three daughters. and love daughters, of course. But like, it's dudes, little dudes are just different. (laughs) Right. And uh, so I get to, you know, throw the baseball and throw the football and all that stuff with these, with these young, young guys. And I get to be an influence in their life. Mm -hmm. And their father, you know, fathers are awesome men. Um, But I get to be a grandpa that kind of shows them how to be a man too. Mm -hmm. And when I decided that, my grandma's funeral would be about legacy. It was because, um, and this is where I got the idea from at my grandpa's funeral it was about love because I couldn't preach about him being in heaven. Mm-hmm. Cause I didn't think he was. Mm-hmm. So I read first Corinthians 13. God told me to talk about love. Nobody can disagree with that. Mm-hmm. So even my cousins, most of whom don't know Christ. So I said, 14 years later, I officiate my grandma's funeral. I said, I reiterated why I talked about grandpa's funeral. And then I said, tonight we're going to talk about legacy. Okay. Following from love, knowing that like my sister was never married, has no kids. And some of my cousins never married, have no kids. So how do I talk about, you know, I have these many kids and these many grandchildren. But I said, you are a physician's assistant. You are a volunteer firefighter. You are a prison guard. You know, different things they do that they've served people. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know, there's a legacy where you're having children and grandchildren and stuff, but there's also a legacy that if you don't have children, are you serving people and and leaving leaving your mark on the world? And I said, from what I see, I mean, this is just an awesome family. I have some great cousins. Mm-hmm. So yeah, legacy could take different forms, but I, I think it always comes down to um, 
you know, in my case, trying to make sure my grandsons, I don't know, grow up into godly young men. When, when Cheryl and I had children, I said, I didn't focus on my, I had a long range plan. I want my daughters to be women of God. And I had a picture in my head of these young 20 somethings that are women of God. Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm in the moment changing diapers and and disciplining when I have to and all that stuff. But my vision was for them to be women of God who hopefully marry men of God who then carry on that legacy to their children. I've had that for 33 years now. Our Mm -hmm. oldest daughter is 33. Mm -hmm. So that's, again, I'm an old soul, whatever. That's just weird. I, I saw them as little girls, yes. But my conception was, and so- when I work with a young man, I want to help him learn what it is to be a man. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm the manliest man in the world, but now they talk about toxic masculinity all the time. I hear seldom hear anything about toxic femininity. Weird, hmm. but toxic masculinity gets tossed all over the place. It's all over commercials and stuff. Meaning, right? if you're too much of a man, something like that, you're a brute. You're a beast. You're a they don't say chauvinist anymore. You're misogynistic, which means the same thing. Miso gyno, gyno. You're a misogynist. Wow. You learned something else today. Didn't you? <laughs> yeah. They don't use chauvinist anymore. You're a misogynist, okay. I guess, because it sounds worse. Yeah. So I. So and can, nobody knows what it means. Yeah. So here would be the big thing. So if we're talking through the legacy thing, yeah. I know you said things didn't change, but the. But what I heard you say is you had to be in to leave a legacy, you have to be intentional about doing something. So you are saying, I saw my girls in their 20s when I was changing their diapers. So you intentionally did something with them to leave a legacy. Well, yeah, you can't just go, I don't know how we're getting there, but it's that's what I want. Well, but I think that is what people do. Just like Mm -hmm. I'll say working out again. If I want to bench yay amount of weight. I can't just go up and bench that, especially as I'm older, I have to warm up. But like you see a conception of how much you want to lift in a certain lift. It takes time and it takes effort and I'm pretty systematic about it. But like, yeah, you have to do the little things along the way and do the actual work of life. Mm -hmm. I saw something the other day where it's like kids nowadays are figuring out how hard it is to be an adult. I was talking to my daughter, Heather, about that actually today on the way back from Menards. I said, I'm not sure I agree with that. Like, you just do what you got to do. I, I think some people are afraid to grow up and be adults because we've made it this thing of how hard it is. Yeah, it can be hard sometimes, but do you have any confidence in yourself? Like, yeah, you're going to have challenges. You're going to meet them head on. I, as a Christian, am going to turn to the Lord. I'm not saying I like immediately hit my knees. My thing is I sing praise and worship music when I'm going through a rough time right? because I'm a music person. I've had a few rough times in the last um, 10 years or or, uh, 10 years or so. And each time I would find myself riding bicycle, which I used to do a lot. I'd find myself just singing to the Lord, headphones in, turn it to my praise list and just singing instead of fretting over whatever I'm going through, which is the natural inclination, um, praying about it. But my way of praying is to just to praise the Lord, knowing he's going to take care of it. Right. However, however it pans out, he's going to take care of it. He's going to be there for me. He's never failed me once in my life. I have failed him. He's never failed me. Right. Will never fail me. He has a perfect track record. And I don't know. 
I, uh, well, I mean, my, daughter, what... my daughters see that in me. They've all commented on things like that. And my, my son, especially one son-in-law, we've had some deep, good, deep conversations. And he got baptized a couple months ago and asked me to read his testimony right. when he got baptized. And I asked him, why did you have me do it, not your dad? He said, oh, my dad's great, great influence growing up, a good man. But just in the short time I've known you, we've talked a lot of Bible and theology, and I can see your love for the Lord. Right. So he wanted me to, and mm -hmm. blew me away. There's things like that have happened in my life where I was just like, wasn't expecting it. Sure. And I met more to pe some people than I knew. Mm -hmm. And I went, wow, I wasn't even going for that. It's just like... That's well, why I, I say it's not always intentional. See, mm -hmm. Right. So when we're talking about legacy, I think the thing we're trying to get people to see is you are leaving a legacy. Mm -hmm. Legacy isn't something that some people don't leave. Everybody, oh, everybody leaves a legacy. Everybody sure. leaves a legacy. And that legacy can be awful, right? Like sure. the, the, the their life was intentionally awful. Like they were intentionally, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. they were intentionally awful people. Yeah. Which isn't very many people. Correct. And then I think there is a group of people who leave random legacy, right? So random legacy That's most meaning. People. Huh? That's most people. That's what I'm saying. I think so, there's a bell curve. Yeah. I think <laughs> that for the majority of people, they leave a random legacy. You mm -hmm. sit with the family, tell me your memories. And the memories are, again, it's just random legacy. Mm -hmm. Like the legacy of your life was the memories that I have of the things that we did together, mm -hmm. right? Like, and because of those memories, it impacted me, which is what legacy is, mm -hmm. right? It's not just a memory. It's an, and this memory impacted me in such a way, but there was no intentionality behind it. There was no intentionality of I'm doing this to create these memories for the purpose mm -hmm. of leaving a legacy that I've already mapped out that I want to leave, right? Like this is what I want. Then there is a group of people who would say, I want to leave a legacy, this is what I want the legacy to be. So the decisions that I make in my life, like you just said that. So I saw my girls, wanted them to do this. So I didn't randomly raise my children, right? I made decisions so that when they were 20, it wasn't going to randomly be that the legacy that I'm going to leave as a father was when I do this, I make this decision so it can get there, which is yeah. what we're talking about is you've, left an intentional legacy because you knew where you wanted to be. And so you made decisions to be able to get And, there. and that's another thing that when, when I first started going to this church, happy 19th birthday, by the way, <laughs> when, when, when the girls asked me, you want to be on a podcast? I'm like, what? I'm just, I have nothing. I'm just, I'm yeah. pretty boring. And I said that she, Jenny told me when she wanted it to do it, October 31st, I said, oh, that's the church's, let's see, 19th birthday. Because I was thinking it was 2004. And I remembered it was thanks or uh, Halloween, Halloween when we started. Yep. That was the first, like, there were three soft opening, whatever, mm -hmm. pra yeah, practice the, services. Yeah, and then it ended up on, the, yeah, the, <laughs> launched on the 31st. We did mm -hmm. soft openings. Right. And it actually three launched. Three practice services and then the real, and I was like, it's kind of weird starting a church on Halloween. Mm -hmm. We're taking it to Satan. And I'll tell you <laughs> what, let's, I just thought that was awesome. Mm -hmm. yeah. But, um, yeah, so, yeah. You used to say intentional a lot, apparently, because I started using that a lot around home. She's like, oh, that Mike, she's like, he says that a lot. I say, yeah, I think that's where I'm getting it from. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, you know very well how true that is. Mm -hmm. Like 
yeah, you can do some things in life, like unintentionally. You can go have, yeah. just go have some fun, cut yes. loose, whatever. Yes. But you have to live with some intentionality if mm-hmm. you're going to leave a good mark, mm-hmm. right? And what's funny is like all three of my daughters will come up to me and go, Dad, I know you have a reason for doing blah, blah, blah. Can you tell me like briefly, right. like not a long explanation? Right. Like, I know it, it might be long, but like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they know. I have reasons for doing things. So right. yes, I have a legacy. It's been mostly intentional yeah. and hopefully a good legacy and not a random legacy. Well, I, I mean, it, the point is, is you can, you can change it at any time. I mean, the greatest thing that I hope people will recognize is, is that you don't have to, like some people are like, well, I only got a few years left or I'm at the other part yeah. of my life mm-hmm. and I can't do it. I'm like, that has nothing to do with it. I Moses mean, was 80 when he was called by God to lead the children yeah. of Israel. <laughs> yeah. I just think that it's important from a legacy standpoint to recognize you are leaving one. And to the best of our ability, I think we need to, to think mm-hmm. through intentionally of how we're going to do that. And yeah. again, process, mm-hmm. what are the decisions that we're going to make? And some of them are like life is just random at points. Oh yeah. But there are other things that we should be intentionally doing because this is what we want the outcome to become. And it should be that way, obviously. And to me, the little things lead to the big things. So if you take care of the little stuff, when the big stuff comes up, you should be a little more prepared for it. Should be, not always. Right. But yeah. Yeah. Good. We're going to wrap it up, Jennifer, if you want to give them the uh, way to be able to get a hold of us and then we'll wrap it up and you can give our final like words of wisdom on the way out. Oh boy. (laughs) If you're not part of our podcast group, um, this is a group that I might ask you questions that we want to know your input on, or I might ask you a question um, about our upcoming guests or something you want to know. So if you're not a part of that group, you can text podcast to 260-408-8383. Yeah, I have it in my memory now. Holy crap, I'm like, is there a TV over there you're looking at? Because it's seriously impressive. I thought you were looking at something. Yeah, I did too. I was looking over there and I'm like, they, I didn't know. No, Nick I could barely kid. see it. I kept, I kept focusing <laughs> on it. I'm like, yeah, I can do this by memory. So text that to us. We would love to um, yeah, have your input um, on the podcast and what we have going on here. Yeah. So Ken, parting words, something that you, if you're going to say to young man out there today or uh, other men, what would you give them some advice when it comes to leaving a legacy and uh, being able to pursue that goal. Yeah. Um, I would, I would say to young men, but all, also let me say that we need some older men that are willing to be mentors. Yeah. And um, some older guys, like, how do I go about that? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that's a good question. How mm-hmm. do we go about that? But we, some men don't have great role models, mm-hmm. dad, their grandpa, whatever, not great role models. So how do we find them good role models? But it can be done. Adulting, as they say, I got an adult today, isn't (laughs) as hard as everybody's making it out to be. Um, Just live a consistent life. Right. Every day. Just consistency. Right. And I think that goes for everything. Like, if you don't eat for a while, you're super hungry, right? (laughs) I fasted, (laughs) then I ate everything. But if you eat every day, you're consistent. You know, yeah. consistency. I think consistency in the word of God. Again, music feeds my soul more than anything. I listen to a lot of rock music, but like I listen to a lot of worship music too throughout right. the week. Keeps me going. I have no like super big, like this is the thing you need no. to know. Well, I think you could end it. I mean, if you want to leave a legacy, be consistent. 
I mean, I think that's one of the things sure. that is going to be important. Like do something and do it for a while. Don't just, you know, the up and downs and try different things yeah. and being all over the yeah. map. I mean, yeah. the consistency of just saying, I'm going to make a choice and I'm going to consistently get up every day, do my best. Right. And, and in that doing your best with the things that God wants you to do or the way you want to go, you will leave a legacy. Yeah. You know, so I think that's good advice. Be consistent, stick with it, play the long game. Mm -hmm. Don't give up. It's hard for younger people to see the long game as we kind of alluded to earlier. Um, Cause they're in the here and now and everything's right. They, they, but man, you just got to trust that consistency is going to, going to lead the way. I mean, it, it just does. Right. And I think this might've been something again that you, I don't know where I came up with this, but some of the most productive days in my life are when I wake up and I say, Lord, what do you want me to do for you today? Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Like every time I've done that, God puts somebody in my way that day right. to help, to talk to, to maybe it's putting something in the truck, lifting something heavy. Sure. God gives me people to serve every time. Right. And if you just ask God, what do you want me to do for you today? Yeah. Your life will change and you oh, got to yeah. be on the lookout for it. Yep. For sure. For sure. All right. So when Jennifer puts this out, she'll be putting it out there. So like, subscribe, comment, um, give us a review. We'd love to hear, you know, get reviews from our podcast. We'd love mm -hmm. to be able to continue to grow this. Ken, thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing, you know, wisdom, memories, things in your life. And again, we just pray that God continues to use you in the lives of other people, we'll be able to carry on that legacy and be able to teach that, you know, to other people. So, Everybody's out there. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye.